Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Welcome to Man Challenge. Uh, my name is Grant Roth, and I'm here with Robin Shoemaker. And uh, we are excited as uh, we get to continue uh, the Unleashed series. We're in week number four, um, and we're excited to uh, just keep talking about what God is doing uh, in and through these uh, original group, this original group of believers in the book of Acts. We're looking at some different stories and, and how God is working through those things. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to break down this week's text with a guy like Robin, who's got a PhD in apologetics. Is that right? New Testament, but close. Yeah. Okay. Nice. That's close. <laughs> and I feel like maybe every time you come here, people talk about the PhD in, in New Testament or something, <laughs> which is awesome. Uh, and I appreciate it when we are uh, working through a text like the one that we have uh, this week. Uh, but before we dive into this week's uh, passage and this week's text, I want to take a moment to highlight one men's ministry story that took place recently. Uh, one of our goals in men's ministry is to see every guy take his next step of faith. Uh, for some, it's praying with their wife before bed. Uh, for others, it's engaging in some sort of uh, service opportunity. But for some, like the guy that we're, we're highlighting today, the next step of faith is fully submitting your life to Jesus uh, as Lord and, and getting baptized. And that's what Clay Watkins did. Uh, Clay is a guy at Austin Clemens and TJ Brinker's table, and uh, we are just super pumped uh, about the decision that Clay made, uh, and we're excited and want to celebrate right now just what, what God has been doing in Clay's life and maybe what God's doing in your life right now uh, too. Uh, but yeah, we just want to, to pause here and say, Clay, congratulations. We are, are just super excited about what God has been doing in you and now through you. Um, but before we get started uh, with the rest of this text, would you go ahead and pray for our time together, Robin? Yeah, sure. So, Holy Father, your, your word tells us that uh, if we lack wisdom, all we have to do is ask. And so we're asking right now. We, we ask for you to help us understand your word that you've given to us, which is truth, and especially how it applies to our life today. Not only what happened back then, teach us what happened back then, but also Tell us what we need to know to live our lives for you today. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, we are in this, this very odd and bizarre text today. And when I was uh, studying it this week, it reminded me of uh, one of the less intelligent things I've done in recent history. Um, before my wife and I moved to Louisville, we lived in an apartment where the sink would clog all the time. Uh, and you don't have to know me for very long to figure out that I am not a very handy man around the house. I'm, I'm not very mechanical, but I wanted to fix this sink and, and show my wife, hey, look, look what I did. I can <laughs> fix a sink. I'm a plumber, basically. And uh, it did not work out well for me because I tried everything I could. I watched YouTube videos and uh, looked everything up on Google, could not figure out how to get this sink unclogged. And then I had what I thought was a brilliant idea uh, to take the vacuum cleaner and suck everything out of the pipes uh, with the vacuum cleaner. And I thought that that would work. Um, and you might be thinking otherwise right now. And not, you're probably smarter uh, when it comes to these things than I am. Because I took that vacuum cleaner and stuck the hose in the, the drain. 
and it sucked all the water up out of the, the pipes. And that water went into the vacuum cleaner and it started shaking and, and smoking and smelling weird. And it basically exploded. Several different pieces came off of it and water went all over our kitchen. And so you can imagine the response I got when You're I... You're lucky to be sitting here. <laughs> yeah, I know. When the, the response I got when I, I go to my wife and say, uh, hey, you remember how our, our sink was, was not working? Now our vacuum cleaner is also not working. Yeah, it, it did not work out well for me. And a lot of the reason it didn't work out well, I think, looking back on that in retrospect, is because I was trying to get that vacuum cleaner to work in a way it wasn't meant to work. I didn't really understand how the vacuum worked, but I was still trying to force it to work the way that I wanted it to work. And I think when we, we look at our text this week, it's odd and bizarre, but at the, at the very root of it all, we see these people who don't really understand who Jesus is and, and what his power is all about. And we see them trying to force Jesus to work the way that they want him to work. They're trying to manipulate Jesus uh, and manipulate his power for their own good, for their uh, gain. And they just don't really get it. And we see how that works out for them. Uh, in Acts chapter 19, verses 11 to 20. Uh, and that's, that's the passage we're going to be in today. Acts chapter 19, uh, verses 11 to 20. And we're going to start by reading uh, verses 11 through 16. So this is Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Luke is, is writing this. Here's what he said. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Then seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, uh, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. And he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So very strange, very weird text. And I'm glad that I'm not having to break this one down alone. I'm glad I've got Robin here with me on this. Um, so this, this idea, honestly, a lot of what we read in that passage is very strange, very foreign uh, to, to a lot of us. The idea of people being healed and having spirits cast out is, is foreign uh, to, to many of us, could you help us understand really just what's going on in these verses, especially with the handkerchiefs and, and the apron? What, what do you see there as, uh, what can you give us to help us understand such a strange text? Yeah, sure. So you've got a couple examples of the supernatural here, right? You've got one coming from God, and then you've got one example that's coming from the satanic realm, right? So the very first one's coming from Paul, uh, who is, of course, you know, the Apostle Paul, one of those that uh, Jesus commissioned to take the gospel into areas like Ephesus. And one of the distinguishing characteristics of the apostles was the fact that they could do miracles. Mm -hmm. All right, you've got in Paul's epistles, as well as in the book of Hebrews, stated multiple times that the, the, the signs of an apostle were performed among you so that you could tell who had the truth of God. That was one of the ways to distinguish God's truth from um, the lies and the pagan gods and everything else in the lands they were trafficking in. And these gifts of miracles really uh, were only 
in existence in three small areas of the Bible. So you have it in the Mosaic period with Moses and Aaron. You have it in the prophetic period with Elijah and Elisha. And then, of course, you have it in the apostolic era with Jesus and his disciples and people like Paul. All right. And so um, what you're seeing here is God using miracles in a very loving way. So he could, he could have done a lot of things, right? Lightning, whatever else. No, he's choosing to heal people and deliver people from the enemy, which is a very uh, loving thing to do. And at the same time, show his power over things like the satanic realm, areas of disease and stuff like that. So that's what's happening here. Mm. Now, when it comes to these things like the handkerchiefs and the aprons, most of the commentators will tell you, you know, Paul was a tent maker. So these are things he likely wore on a day-to-day basis, right? And so they're taking these things, likely with his sweat and everything else, and they're, they're taking them to these people. Now, um, the town of Ephesus in particular was highly occultic. So you had all sorts of superstitions and all sorts of pagan religions and everything else that were just climbing the walls in Ephesus. And so one of the things that you had very common there was the fact that people had superstitions where objects were concerned, right. you know, charms and things like that. And if you had this particular talisman, it might protect you from the enemy and stuff. And so a lot of people believe what's happening here is God's condescending in a way and using the things that the Ephesians were very used to, having these objects that might contain power from a God or whatever else, right. having true power coming from the one and only God, and the proof was in the pudding. So when these things were brought to these people, indeed their diseases left them. And if they were being troubled by demonic entities or something like that, those were exercised and cast out. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. That's, that's helpful. And one thing I, I like about the, the way Luke words some of this, this passage, multiple times he talks about the Lord Jesus. And in verse 13, it says they were trying to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. And he specifies that Jesus is the Lord. And what I love about that is, as he's, he's repeating that a couple times throughout this passage, it's reminding us that Jesus is the Lord, that he's the one who has the power. And it's not so much, even in the verse prior to that, in verse 11, we see that God is the one who's performing the extraordinary miracles through Absolutely. Paul. And so it's helpful to remember, okay, these uh, items, the, the handkerchiefs and the apron, they themselves don't necessarily have any magical or mystical power. It's the God who's working through them. Absolutely. It's, all, it's the distinction between what's called an efficient cause and an instrumental cause. Mm. So for example, the, instru- uh, the, the efficient cause of this table that we're sitting at is either a construction worker, carpenter, or something like that. They're the one that brought the table about. But the instruments that the carpenter might use, his tools and his hammers and everything else, that's what he uses to, to actually bring about uh, the table itself. And so you're very right. These, the, Paul himself, huh. as well as these na- uh, napkins and whatever else that are being used, these are instruments, but the efficient cause behind the healings and the removal of the evil spirits is God himself. That's good. Uh, In verses 13 and 14, uh, I find it kind of interesting. So the text clearly paints these people who are trying to cast out uh, this, this demon in a negative light. Right. And so normally we think, well, doesn't Jesus cast out demons? Why, why is trying to get this evil spirit to leave a person a bad thing? Can you, can you speak to that at all? What are they doing? That's, that's wrong. Yeah. So the key thing here is to notice, and I think in your text, it said something about that these guys went about um, from place to place or something like that. In certain translations, you'll see the term vagabond mm-hmm. used. And so what you've got, just like in, in our old West, you had the snake oil salesman, yeah. right? You know, they went around from town to town. They had this elixir that they would try to be selling to people. They would be conning people, telling them it's going to cure all your diseases and ailments and things like that. And so that's exactly what these guys are. 
right? These guys, for want of a better term, were um, magicians, uh, con artists, magicians that went around, again, from town to town or whatever, and they would go about conjuring if you will. So they would come into a town and they would say, I can, you know, cure a particular ailment or help you with this certain thing that you're experiencing, or perhaps even, you know, um, some sort of an evil uh, power or something that they thought was Mm. afflicting them. I can do that for you, but for money. Mm. All right. So that was their whole scam that they brought about. And unfortunately for these boys, they happen upon the real thing (laughs) and they're going to get taught a lesson big time. Right. And I think that's, that's kind of where we start to, it's where they're learning a lesson, but I think it's also where we start to see a truth develop in this text that, so Luke talks about the Lord Jesus, and I think that's where we start to see this truth develop that Jesus is the Lord, so he doesn't bend to our will. He doesn't conform to uh, what we want all the time. And so these people who are motivated by money, personal gain, trying to manipulate Jesus or use him for their own gain they're quickly finding out, oh, this, this Jesus that we're dealing with and trying to uh, manipulate his power, he's, he's something different. He's, he's something special and we can't manipulate him. He doesn't bend to our will. And I think that's what, what Luke is showing us there, that Jesus is the Lord, so he doesn't conform to our will. Uh, so then there's verses 15 and uh, 16 where we see that it doesn't work out well for these people. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> no. Uh, and the demon-possessed man attacks the sons of Sceva. It's this pretty crazy scene. Is there anything else in those verses that, that sticks out to you that you want to, to hover on for a second? Yeah, so the thing that you learn here is where the enemy's concerned, enemy's only afraid of the shepherd. He's not afraid of the sheep. Hmm. And so the spirit, through the vocal cords of this guy, basically has, and the, the construction in the verses here in the scripture is, is one of contempt. Who do you think you are right. to tell me what to do? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you, you know, one of the characteristics of the demonized, and that's the term you see in scripture, you never see the term possessed, but, but the word that's used in, in scripture is demonized. So one of the characteristics of the, the uh, demonized person is they tend to manifest supernatural strength. And in the Gospels, you see the same thing when Jesus confronts that one guy from the Gatherings, mm. where they said he would, they would, you know, chain him up and everything. He would just break the chains. So this is, this is something that's, that's out of this world type of, of strength. And so, you know, this guy pounces on these guys. And um, I don't know, Grant, I mean, I, I guess growing up, I, I wasn't in a lot of fights, you know. Uh, but if you're on the losing end of a fight, you know, maybe you got a bloody lip, a, you know, bloody nose or whatever else. It's a whole new level of losing a fight when you leave the altercation naked. <laughs> That's true. You know? And so, yeah, that is super embarrassing. For the Jewish people in particular, their culture was one where shame was just mm. huge in terms of being out in public naked. Yeah. And if you look in the Old Testament, when some of the Jewish soldiers of Israel would be captured, the, um, their captors would cut their garments off oftentimes mm. mid-length so they would expose their backside and they would send them out in public because they knew that this was something that the Jews in particular hated. So this was very, very um, demeaning to these guys. Yeah. It was a lesson they learned. And as the verses that come next tell you, everyone in Ephesus got the message too. Mm. That's interesting. So it wasn't just that uh, they were embarrassed because they lost a fight. They were embarrassed. Like it was more, the shame was more than just losing a fight. The shame was also deeply tied to the tradition that they were living in Absolutely. and the, the culture that they were living oh, in. Oh yeah. That's, that's not a mistake there. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah. So 
what we see in that, that first chunk of this passage that we're wrestling with, that big theological truth, uh, is that Jesus is the Lord. He doesn't bend to our will. We see that with these people who are trying to, to cast out these demons. Jesus is the Lord. He's not going to bend to our will. He doesn't conform to the things that we want. We can't manipulate him. Uh, but we're going to be reminded of uh, something that's almost opposite, but it kind of go, goes with that truth in the next uh, little piece of this passage. We're going to be uh, reminded that because Jesus is the Lord, we should submit to his will. We should conform our lives uh, to his will. And we see that in uh, verses 17 to 20. This is what Luke writes. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. That makes sense. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came openly and confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So uh, we see that this event, though very strange and bizarre, kind of created a revival of sorts. These people are responding in a very uh, radical way. It says they're burning their scrolls. What is significant about that? Yeah, see, so first they get the fear, right, like you read. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like you also said, no kidding. Can you imagine the wanted poster for this demonized guy? <laughs> I mean... You know, you got this, this, this demonized guy flying through the air, tearing people's clothes off. That'll do it. You know, mm. you know, that'll put fear into you. Whenever the natural comes into contact with the supernatural, there's fear. Yeah. There's no question about that. So you've got that going on. Um, then notice the, the past tense um, words that you were using there. Those who had practiced magic. Um, what you're talking about here are people who've become Christians but yet they live in this highly occultic environment, Nephesus. Right. So they're coming out of the occult, okay? Um, and, and so they had been uh, those who were very superstitious and done all this other stuff, but now they recognize their error, all right, through the gospel and through Paul's teaching and, and others here. And so what you're seeing is one of the evidences of saving faith, which is repentance, Okay. And for you guys that don't, maybe that's a term you've not heard of. Repentance just means turning away. It just means I used to do this. Now I do that. Okay. It's, it's now I, I used to participate in these occultic activities, but it's not in keeping with who I am in Christ now. And so I have to leave this former life of mine, which is what they're doing. So um, Ephesus in particular, there was a term that was used back then called the literature of Ephesus, which referred to all these occultic uh, books and charms and everything. Mm. In fact, Ephesus was one big occultic bookstore. And so these people recognize their error and they want to get rid of their former life, but they're not just going to sell it mm. and pass it along, right? Because somebody else could get it, get ensnared in this particular uh, error, um, get, let Satan get a foothold in their life. And so instead of doing that, they're doing something very costly. And oftentimes in the Christian life, Repentance is costly. Yeah. And so they're actually burning their scrolls. So nobody is going to have access to this error, to these teachings of the devil. Um, they're getting rid of it. And the money, as you said, was huge. I mean, it was something like 138 years worth of wages for your average guy. Wow. So it's big, big money we're talking about, but it didn't matter to them. Jesus mattered more. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's intriguing because it's a very clear, tangible uh, piece of evidence that these people are parting ways with their former life. Right. And I, I hadn't thought about this, but 
not only are they doing that for themselves, they're burning those scrolls saying, I don't want any part of this thing that I've been doing because this isn't fully in submission to the Lord Jesus. They're also doing that for other people. When they burn those scrolls, that's preventing those from getting into the hands of anyone else. And so right. it, it's a, this, this is something evil. I don't want to be a part of this. I want to submit this to, to Jesus and burning that not only is me cutting ties with that, it's me preventing something dangerous getting into the hands of someone else and yeah. potentially drawing them away from Christ as well. Exactly. That's very, man, that's insightful. That's, that's helpful. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're cutting ties, burning bridges with their former way of life. Uh, and they're really exposing themselves fully to God saying, Hey, this is, this is what I've been doing. I'm, I'm submitting myself fully to you. Uh, and I think that's really just a, a deep theological truth that we can wrestle with even in a, a bizarre uh, passage where we might not be, uh, or at least we might not recognize that we're wrestling with demonic presences or mm -hmm. there's some sort of spiritual battle going on because those things are happening even when we don't recognize it. But that might not seem very practical to us, but there is an underlying truth there that was true in Acts chapter 19 when these people are living this out. And it's true for us today that Jesus is the Lord. He doesn't bend to our will. He doesn't conform to our will. But because Jesus is the Lord, we should conform to his will. Um, and so that's, that's the truth that, that I see in this, this passage. And I think it's important for us to uh, live out. And when we live that out, it's, it's life-changing. It can lead to radical revival in an in individual's life, but also in a community, just like we see in this text. People's lives are changed. We part ways with things uh, that draw us away from Jesus um, and that keep us and prevent us from submitting fully to uh, the Lord Jesus. Um, and so I want to get really practical for people here because this text is uh, kind of hard to wrestle with sometimes. And sometimes it seems weird and far off and, and mystical. Uh, but to get really practical, what are some areas that men watching or listening to this teaching uh, may need to submit themselves more fully to the will of Jesus? Can you help our guys understand, oh, this is an area that I need to say, okay, Jesus, since you're the Lord, I'll submit this to you. Yeah. Um, so again, like you said, the passage, passage is uh, a little odd in terms of sometimes we don't think about the spiritual warfare that we're going through, but it's very real and it's very legit. And so um, I've seen some of, it, some of it in my own Christian life. And one of the things I really just want to pass along, guys, is um, make sure, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, that you're not giving the devil a foothold in your life in any way. Uh, and it can be done in ways that you really don't, you might not understand. Um, the occult is all around us today. The number one fastest growing religion in the United States right now is Wicca, mm. uh, which is just really, really sad. And so um, I want you to just think about, are there any areas of my life that, that I'm trafficking in that are the devil's domain, that the enemy's domain? And if so, begin to maybe pull yourself out. Maybe it's some of the movies you're watching, the music you're listening to, uh, the things that you participate in, no matter how innocent they seem, like horoscopes and all this other stuff, it's still something that can ensnare and, and bring you down. Mm -hmm. um, the, the illustration that I use is, you know, we're all familiar with the invisible fences that the dogs have, you know, oh, in yeah. the various yards. Yeah. And the thing is, if you stay outside of that boundary, the dog can't get to you. But you cross that boundary, 
and, and now you're in his domain mm. and he has full access to you. And so that's something that I would really encourage you to do is make sure that you're outside the domain of the enemy and um, that you're, the way you do that is staying close to Jesus, as close to Jesus as you possibly can through his word, through uh, church attendance, through things like this, like man challenge or whatever. And when you do that, God will gift you with discernment and, and you will find pricks, if you will, of the Holy Spirit that will tell you when perhaps you're making some missteps into areas that you shouldn't, that's going to jeopardize, you know, your walk with Christ. Yeah. Yeah. That invisible dog fence, that's a helpful picture. Um, and it makes me think some about how these people in Ephesus may not have recognized because dabbling in the spiritual realm in this ungodly way was very normalized in Ephesus. It was a, a city full of false gods. There, there's temples there to other gods. And when you think about that, these people who burned their scrolls, it wouldn't be as if that was uncommon. The, the rest mm-hmm. of Ephesus wouldn't look at those people and be like, how, how dare you be <laughs> practicing magic or anything like that or be no. dabbling in any of this? Um, and so it makes me think that sometimes the way that Satan works in our lives and gets a fo- foothold, like you were saying, sometimes it's in obvious ways and people are dabbling in, in strange spiritual things that they shouldn't be. But sometimes it's in very, uh, very hidden ways, ways that might not seem uh, as evil as what they are. Uh, There are some things in culture that can become so normalized that we don't recognize how Satan can use those things. And so I think our our man challenge for this week, directly out of uh, the table leader guide, I'll read that to you. And there's some really, really practical things where sometimes Satan works through the things of this culture to get a foothold in our life, whether it's a social media thing or, or some, something like that, even just like interactions with coworkers and, and, uh, why he's called the God of this world. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this, this week's man challenge, I'll read it directly to you. It says, uh, confess to a trusted friend, uh, maybe even your man challenge group, an area of your life where you're not submitting to Christ, identify a drastic measure you can take to submit yourself to Christ. And then the examples given there, uh, delete Twitter or Instagram if they're causing you to lust. That's the burning of the scroll. Um, if you're jealous of someone at work, send them a genuine and encouraging message. Do something drastic that's going to prevent Satan from getting any sort of hold uh, in your life and submit yourself fully to Jesus. Conform to his will because he is uh, the Lord as we see uh, in this passage. Um, so those are just some things to be thinking about as you go into your group discussion. Uh, also, we want you to be thinking about this more. What stood out to you in this passage? Uh, and when I say that, we're not talking just about uh, what Robin and I have set up here. We're talking about when you read this passage for yourself, what sort of things are you wrestling with? And then talk about those with your man challenge group, because we really want you guys to get, get a grasp of this text. And, and we want what we say to be helpful. We want to expose God's word to you but we want you to really be wrestling with this uh, yourself and then with the guys in your group. So I would encourage you to discuss some of those things in your group, uh, what you're wrestling with. And then one thing for you guys to note is that next Thursday, February 11th, our senior pastor Kyle is gonna be helping us finish up this Unleashed series. uh, And we're gonna be doing that in person, which is exciting after uh, so many weeks of, oh, are we going to be in person? Are we not going to be in person? And then hopefulness that we are, and then being saddened that we're not. Uh, we're going to be in person next Thursday, February 11th, unless something changes. Um, and then the week after February 11th, Man Challenge is going to start meeting in person 
uh, consistently. Uh, but our Saturday groups aren't going to meet in person until February 20th. So not the Saturday after Kyle uh, talks to us, but the Saturday following that. Um, and then right before you guys go into your group discussion, uh, you're going to see a short video of a guy named Joe Miles, uh, who is a really good example of what it looks like to use what God gives us for his glory. Um, I've had the opportunity to just witness some of the work that Joe's doing up close and personal. I got to help with a single mom's oil change uh, that, that he kind of sponsored and put on uh, at his uh, auto shop. And it was uh, it was really cool to be a part of it. And I, I know that uh, what Joe's doing is awesome. God's glorified by it. And so he's going to be sharing uh, some of his story with you guys. And I hope that you are encouraged by it. Uh, but we want to thank you guys for being with us this week. We want to thank Robin for being with us this week. Uh, and we are excited to see you in person next Thursday. Uh, and here is Joe Miles. Hey, man. I'm Joe Miles. I've been asked to share a little bit of my story with you all. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Julie, for just over 12 years. Uh, we have an eight-year-old son named Carson, and I uh, also have two adult children, um, a daughter, 28, and a son that's 26. We own a Kaiser Tire and Auto Service. Um, <clears throat> we use our business to try to help as many people as we can in need. Uh, one of the ways that we do this is with the Single Moms Oil Change events. Um, with the help of the men's and the women's ministry, as well as uh, volunteers from the Man Challenge. Uh, we have successfully done this twice and serviced over 60 vehicles for these women in, in need. Um, reason we do it, um, you know, I've been blessed with the skill set and the facility to make it happen. Um, and I was a single dad for quite some time and I understand the, the struggle that there is um, when someone can help you out and and take care of something for you. It's such a great feeling and, and such a uh, wonderful thing for us to do. Uh, one of the guys that, that works for us um, has got some struggles in his life dealing with, uh, with family issues and, and sickness, and he's helped out on this both times. Uh, the first time he was dreading every minute of it coming up to to doing it, but stayed with it and uh, later told me that, you know, when he saw these these volunteers walking in on a Saturday afternoon full of joy and, and hope, and uh, it, it just about moved him to tears. Um, the, the second time we did it, uh, he was so excited and pumped up to be a part of it again. And, and, uh, you know, we, we ran the day and, and, and serviced all these vehicles. And at the end of the day, we, we gather up with, with the volunteers and, uh, we're praying for, uh, the church and the ministry and the women that we serve today. And, you know, he had made such a connection with, with these guys and, and was able to share his story and, as a group, we were able to pray for him uh, after the after the service, and uh, again, was moved to tears. Um, you know, there's so much good that comes out of uh, what we do, uh, what we can do, what we should do for the people that we that we serve, and for us. Um, uh, nothing has showed me that more than than watching this guy um, uh, with these events. I encourage all of us, 
um, use the skill sets, the talents that God gave us, our time, our energy, you know, if you can, money. Um, but, you know, money is not the end of it when it comes to generosity. Um, help each other, love your neighbor, um, you know, try to, try to help whenever you can, whoever you can. Uh, I love you guys. Uh, I love the man challenge and I hope you all have a very blessed day. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.